Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Children's Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare, system improvement, and leadership, Spark Conversations is a solution-focused podcast that connects the child health community with system leaders who tackle wicked problems and discuss ideas to inform the development of innovative and integrated systems serving children and youth. Spark Conversations is one component of our newly refreshed Spark Knowledge Mobilization Program. Spark is the shared platform for advocacy, research, and knowledge. I'm Paula Robeson, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Rachel Martins. Rachel came to Canchild as the parent of a young man born with a rare chromosome diagnosis, cerebral palsy, and autism. He has since passed away, but her partnership with researchers continues on in his memory. Rachel works as a research engagement strategist with the Family Engagement in Research course, supporting family members and researchers as they learn to partner in projects. Rachel also facilitates engagement and promotes knowledge mobilization through a variety of other initiatives. Initiatives such as the online group Parents Partnering in Research and Luke's Legacy Family Research Rounds ensure more opportunities for connection and community participation. Rachel has an interest in federal and provincial disability policy and uses writing as a tool for advocacy. She's currently studying population health part-time in university. Due to her ongoing dedication and leadership, Rachel was also the winner of the prestigious 2021 Children's Healthcare Canada Patient and Family Leadership Award. Today, we're chatting about an extremely important topic, family engagement in children's healthcare and child health research. Hello, Rachel, and welcome to Spark Conversations. It's a pleasure to be here today, Paula. It's always lovely to have some uh, fellow podcasters on the line. I, I know I'm on a steep learning curve and, and uh, we can learn and share from each other. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's quite the process and so many resources that it needs to kind of figure out. But um, it's when we help each other, that's, we're all the better. Absolutely. Rachel, you have a unique and diverse set of experiences and perspectives and we're so excited to have you on the show. But before we dig in, can you tell us a little bit about, more about yourself and how you got to where you are now? For sure. Well, I became a mom quite early on. I was about 26 when I had my son. And it became quite the steep learning curve after he made his dramatic entrance into the world. And so he was, for someone so dramatic, he actually had a very short stint in the, in the NICU. So it was about three weeks. But after that, I was spending about two weeks out of the month in appointments in Winnipeg, back and forth, trying to figure out what was going on. He was almost a term child. And so, but the fact that the matter was he was only three pounds and six ounces. And so there was a lot to, to question and a lot to figure out. And so from there, I got kind of ushered into the world of rare disease. And since then, uh, learning to advocate for him, I've also had two more people in my life diagnosed with their own rare diagnoses. And from there, I got to get to know the online world of social media friendships and things like that in terms of how people with rare diagnoses connect with one another. And from that kind of 
on a dare actually got immersed into research culture as a partner uh, through a friend. And our her idea was actually to connect with Canchild and said, if we brought uh, social media together as the mutual platform for researchers and for parents to hang out and connect, would they essentially understand each other more and learn how to uh, engage one another and kind of catch some of the nuances that get missed within that one hour appointment time at, at a clinic? And it turns out that, yes, we get to understand so much of the depth of the research process as parents but also researchers and clinicians have an opportunity to understand things like why families sometimes miss appointments or all the other complications that come in our lives that don't ne- doesn't necessarily make the usual conversation during clinic time. And so from there, it has, uh, my life's moved in many different ways in terms of trying to figure out where I wanted to be in the research world. And a lot of the work I did was because of my son. He was my everything. And at, at, when it came to the time when he passed away, at this point, I've come to understand that I have moved my life so much within to the world of healthcare that it's become a part of who I am and how I want to help other people. And so it's been a slow process as to trying to figure out where I where I fit. And right now it's been so much about helping families and researchers really create authentic relationships when it comes to engagement and partnership and what it means to create, not not, not just as uh, something that's mandated, like a tick box within a grant proposal, yes, you have a research partner, but to do it well and to see people want to come back and help more. And in some cases, see people who also have had spent lengthy amounts of time in the hospital with their family members come back and go to school, things like that. That And it, it's just, it's a wonderful process to see people just capture the notion of vulnerability within the healthcare experience, but also to create beautiful things together because of it. Right. You've seen the children's health care from the lens of a parent and a support person, a professional within the system. What's your sort of elevator speech on what is family engagement and why is it so important? What's challenging a lot of the times is we, we have seen, obviously, within the data that it is incredibly beneficial, that co-design, things like that, all all has its merits in terms of creating a more authentic, useful, with real-time application Um process upon which we can develop really great things to help benefit healthcare, but also patients at the end of the day being the most important piece there as well. But I I think that there's something to be said about the fact that it is continuing to evolve in terms of how it has not just been about ticking a box in terms of where people can be, but it's from the stakeholder side, I really do feel like there's something to say about investing in a system that you don't ever want to use, but you want also when you do need it, you want it to be a successful experience as well. So it, because your health is so much a part of who you are. And I think that the pandemic has really offered an opportunity for many people who have may, maybe never seen or ha- had that philosophy in mind. They s- recognize where potential gaps may be. They recognize the hard work that many frontline workers have gone through, and they've come to understand that their voice, their opportunity, there's opportunity to help. There's so so much there that we just need to continue to evolve in ways upon which we can create sort of a mutual investment from both sides and see something really marvelous come about from that. So there, there's so much recognition, and really in Canada. In many respects, the notion of uh, family engagement and partnership is still a new-ish concept. 
So there's definitely more space to consider an area that's rife with potential in terms of really creating successful relationships. In a perfect world, how should families be engaged? And what are we missing that would make family partnership better? I think sometimes we, from from the professional side, we get lost in the process. We just know that we are supposed to do it. But then there's also some aspects as well, too, where we understand that sometimes there is trauma, trepidation, and trepidation from that. You don't want to step on somebody's toes. You don't want to effectively poison the well when it comes to somebody's relationships just because you didn't know how to act within the moment. But at the base of it all, and this is something that I come across with my position connecting with researchers and trainees and clinicians a lot of times is that they just want somebody to have a support. They want somebody to talk to and make sure that they're doing this right. And the first thing that I often tell them is that the fact that they chose to to spend some time with me to talk about this means I'm not as worried about them specifically as they may feel that they are about themselves. And so because really at the at the end of the day, that is a base value that they held. And th- that creates so much change in and of its own right. And so what we did was create what is a community of practice where we have now close to, I believe, 200 grads from our course. And we continue to cr- find resources upon which we can build more learning and learning from each other and ask questions that might come about that are unique to specific projects, things like that. How that moves forward is when we really create those spaces upon which people can think about that authentically. That's where real change comes because it is not just a technical movement of seeing the merit of it. It's a social movement in and of itself. And you mentioned the the course, um, both parent partners and professional partners can also participate in the course. What sort of balance do you have in terms of who attends? From the parent side, we get a lot of people who are usually somewhat engaged already, but that in and of itself is a bit challenging because we still have a system upon which recruitment and engagement still comes with kind of a philosophical barrier in its own right to say that there's a vast difference between doing what's right and what is easy. And so we're constrained by things like time and finances and things like that. And that's understandable. How we shift that is a challenge in the future. And part of that is with my position to kind of help educate the general public about the fact that patient-oriented research exists to begin with, and that uh, there's so much to benefit from participating in research in so many respects as well, too. So that we try to create a space where we have enough representation from both sides, because we bring at the end of the course, researchers and parents together to create knowledge translation tools or resources that people can use. And that can come in a variety of different modes. We had people create uh, infographics, podcasts, videos, things like that all upon which they have that opportunity to kind of practice developing those relationships and getting to know one another, which has been really, really beneficial. And some of the tools are absolutely brilliant. Um, and we house them now on the CanChild website as well, that people can move them forward. And what's the website for anyone listening? Uh, CanChild.ca. And you can look up CanChild Family Engagement in Research Course. And the tools are listed in the Family Engagement and Research Course section of the website. Wonderful. When we've spoken in the past, we've talked a lot about um, storytelling and that family perspective using their stories to help influence the system. Can you speak to the importance of it and this overall human aspect of healthcare? Um, We often think healthcare, because it's by humans, with and for humans, that it's a human system, but it's not, not necessarily always as 
humane as we would love it to be? Um, what role can the the family partner stories tell in that? Absolutely. And I think that there's something to be said that not, as you mentioned, all, not all stories are great ones, but that there's something to be said about effective change coming from sitting in our collective discomfort sometimes, and that that needs to be something that's honored as kind of a sacred piece of that relationship. Whether or not we do that well remains to be seen in some in some corners, but that that's something that moving forward, I hope that we can spend more time in doing that collectively together throughout the pandemic. And in terms of stories, I think that one really important quote that I love the most is from Brene Brown is that maybe stories are data with a soul. And I, I love that for many reasons, one of them being sometimes elevating important healthcare messages comes from understanding how that um, how that particular bit of information um, affects people in real time. I got to talk about, for instance, creating health, child health policies for, about disability at the United Nations in New York. And I got to talk about how my family's experience and in order to create the best sort of outcomes comes from understanding that these particular set of rights is something that I can access in ways to make sure that those possibilities do remain open to my son. And that all came with, at the end of the day, sharing a video of my husband and my son listening to a song from the soundtrack of the movie Moana. And I thought there couldn't be a more honest opportunity right there just to frame the very real reality of the good things in life coming when people have an opportunity to access their rights. The same could be said about storytelling within the healthcare system as well, too, is that the time that you spend in there is some of the most vulnerable experiences and we need to kind of continue to help develop that relationship in, with internal work on both of our, on both sides, really, in many respects. Does your course provide uh, training for families to tell their story in a way that's uh, impactful? I think at this point, not to a huge degree. There is something to be said about practicing that skill within that system because there's something to be said about creating the great frequency that's sometimes necessary to be open and honest. And sometimes what where my role comes in as well, too, is sometimes that isn't a skill that not everybody is blessed with. And so um, I, I haven't had to mediate a lot on a ha- very, very small handful of occasions. It's been about helping everybody see where that, that sense of openness is so necessary because sometimes researchers get lost in the process and kind of have a way of trampling. Sometimes somebody has gone through so much where it feels like a bull in a china shop in the sense of there's just sort of a disconnect, but there is still that potential to have effective conversations. You don't have to agree with everybody who you partner with in terms of their base philosophies in life. You can still function with angry people. Angry people with stories still are people with stories who have been affected by healthcare experiences. It's just, it becomes more of a practice to some degree about sharing your story, but sometimes it helps to have a friend who can help you walk through that process as well, too, because in and of itself, practicing that relationship is a part of sort of self-actualization in its own right for parent partners, because they have suddenly come to a discovery of the fact that they are not just merely functions of care, which sometimes healthcare systems have a way of making it feel like, like that, but suddenly that their experiences are valid. And that becomes quite a significant and and an emotional revelation. I think every cohort, I speak to at least two or three parent partners who are in absolute tears 
just understanding the fact that they can help create effective change and that and they want to know how they can live their lives with their complicated kiddos but also learn about something that they suddenly see in themselves that has merit and help to flesh that out in many respects and so how do you walk that dual path uh, a kind of a beautiful moment it must be there are clinicians and, and researchers who might be afraid or resistant to engaging families in research or practice change out of fear of doing or saying the wrong thing, making people uncomfortable, going back to the same folks over and over again and burning them out. What advice would you give to professionals in clinical settings and research settings who have those concerns? Is there a right way to engage families? There's probably a host of wrong ways, but. <laughs> I can say there, I, I've had some experiences that I, I do not care to repeat as a parent partner. Um, but at the same time, I think some, there's something to be said about creating an open culture for conversation. We have within the healthcare systems, uh, a need to sometimes create these professional barriers. We only know a certain amount of things about say a clinician, um, but we never extend beyond the greater world that is their own human lives. And so that creates a bit of an awkwardness at times when it comes to these relationships. And it, it's interesting to try to bust that idea to some degree. I remember actually coming to a, chil a Children's Healthcare Canada conference and running into my son's respirologist. And he looked at me for a second and he said, so why are you here? And I kind of said, oh, I'm actually... Um, presenting a poster at this year's conference. And he kind of goes, oh, okay, no, that's fine. And I turned around and I said, it's okay if you didn't recognize me at first. I'm not wearing yoga pants and tightly clutching a Starbucks. And that in and of itself was just a moment to say, you know, like, it's okay to have a human conversation. <laughs> I think when you create those open relationships, uh, like Ken Child, for instance, back in, in the days where we could be around people, they would have family barbecues where they would invite people to talk about science, but also to have just fun at family activities. So they had a family day. You don't have to create such large events or anything like that. But when you create open spaces upon which essentially what my point is that gone is the day where we communicate to a point where the only way to extend invitations is a poster on the wall with a little tearaway email or phone number that there's so much to be said about developing relationships and it's not something that is done where you just kind of run up to someone and say, engage with me. This is a long-term investment. And to some degree, you need to understand the people that you're connecting with in the world around you and how they see things. And sometimes there are really great opportunities to do so where you can just sit and listen. Sometimes for as much as I find uh, social media, for instance, to sometimes be a bit of a dumpster fire, um, I'm learning actually recently about places like TikTok where people willingly are sharing their stories. They take that energy and they open that space and you can just, you don't have to say anything. You can just stop and listen and hear those perspectives. And sometimes you can draw uh, a huge amount of needs from people when you just take the time to be quiet and hear what somebody has to say. And sometimes that in and of itself is a way to start developing those relationships because somebody feels heard and recognized within the context of their life. And that's how you begin to connect and really innovate because then you can create those invitations and really start to affect new modes of healthcare innovations. 
And what role can organizations like Children's Healthcare Canada do to help us all build back a better system for children's health through family engagement? There, there's a lot of people who are, are very much ready to just jump in and help move things forward. What that tends to do, though, at this point is that we have we have a system in, that in the past, it has always been about, in, in many respects, coming to a specific institution to be and expect to be invited to where you have to seek out those opportunities. There is something to be said about figuring out ways where we can meet in the middle and create that open invitation for conversation because I honestly don't have a humongous answer for this, but at the same time, I think that there's something to be said about just we need to start opening some doors upon which we can can do that, but also really create those resources and say that, you know, we have situations in some areas of the world right now where they're asking for volunteers because there's just not enough people to get things done. How how do we create um, spaces for communication upon which we can um, start moving some of these processes forward? And I think there's something to be said about, yeah, even really in unexpected areas when it comes to uh, things like governance and things like that, where we start to really educate people about community investment in healthcare systems. Um, The scope is humongous, but at the same time, I think we need to um, find ways upon which networks can open doors in larger scales and really start to think out of the box. Fair. And I'll I'll certainly put some more thought behind that, um, bring it back to the organization. We're now through the main portion of our interview, but at this point, I just have some fun rapid fire questions, no right or wrong answer, just the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready for a couple of questions? I'm in. Let's do it. Okay. Who has had the biggest influence on your career path in this way and why? I would definitely say one of the folks at Canchild, Andrea Cross. I I joke about our friendship a lot. She got me started in the world of research, but she also helped rein me in in many respects. I, I like to think about my excitable energy as sort of an idea chihuahua where you, you know you used to have those jokes on like sitcoms where someone would like sit down on a couch and like that dog would like there, there would be a small dog there that someone accidentally sat on and you'd hear that like that yip that yip was my excited bar- wanting to bark and jump out into one direction or another about any sort of concept and she would help me move forward and think more of a targeted approach rather than going forward with um, really, you know, full barrels, no real direction whatsoever with really thinking about all of the parameters and and moving that forward and also to consider bold approaches. So she's definitely been one of my favorite people and someone I owe a lot to personally. Oh, wonderful. What's one thing you feel deeply grateful for right now? at a time when we're all looking at for hope and sunshine? I am grateful for my friends. I, at this point in my life, having experienced loss as a parent, they were the people that supported me through a lot of process of just complicated processes with um, helping to raise him and through medical complexity and things like that. They have opened up my world in so many ways in terms of making sure that we're still smiling and laughing and talking about goofy things and just always checking in with one another. And th- that that circle of people also at one point, because they too, well, it, many of them will eventually lose their children as well. And they 
all sat socially distanced on my front lawn eating ice cream because that was my son's favorite thing to do on his birthday after he passed away. They gave us all hand embroidered handkerchiefs because we knew that crying was going to be a big part of that as well too. They've been there with me through so much and are helping me reconfigure who I am um, after such a loss, but also just to laugh and smile and just live. It really is all about relationships, isn't it? Absolutely. And the last of these questions... What's the number one thing we need to consider right now to move children's health care forward in a positive direction? Not a biggie at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I think about that character, the, the one that says, solve all of the things. That's generally where, where my brain tends to go initially. But <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much to be said about opening doors at this point and just making sure that we are talking. I, I feel like places like Twitter right now, healthcare Twitter, for example, just feels like Everybody is just trying to shout at the world from whatever corner of concerns that they're having right now. And I I wish there was a way upon which you could just take just a collective amount of frontline workers and parent advocates and patient advocates and just kind of scoop them up and say, here's a space we could use some help. That's my big wish. It's an entirely unrealistic one in many respects, but I do think that in terms of um, just the logistics of that all. But uh, moving forward, I, I, ju- I just hope that we can think about how we heal together and rebuild together. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you as well, too. Thank you for the opportunity. So stay safe and be well. To stay up to date on all of our Spark offerings, including the upcoming podcast episodes, visit our website at childrenshealthcarecanada.ca and subscribe to our Spark News Bulletin if you haven't already. And thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. Before we go, show some love for your new podcast series by leaving us a review and then join us again next month. Thank you. <laughs>